On the way into church this morning, you trampled underfoot one of the chief images from today's gospel. Salt thrown out onto sidewalks and roads may no longer be any good for seasoning food, but each winter in Chicago it certainly proves very useful for melting ice. In her book, Much Depends on Dinner, the writer Margaret Visser says that over the course of the 20th century, the use of salt for culinary purposes became statistically insignificant in relation to the quantities demanded by industry. It was a British chemist, Humphrey Davy, who first succeeded in separating the components of salt, as you know, perhaps chlorine and sodium, from common salt in 1810. Over time, scientists and industrialists discovered many uses for these two components, uses which carried them quite far from the dinner table. Bleach for textiles, alkali for soap and glass production, chlorine and sodium byproducts in the dye industry and in the extraction of aluminum. During the 20th century, New York's uses for chlorine proliferated rapidly, and it now plays significant roles in the production of vinyls and other plastics, solvents, pesticides, herbicides, and in the cooling, braking, and anti-knock fluid used in automobiles. Because of all these uses, it is now the automobile and not the human being that is the world's largest consumer of salt. Now, all of this may serve to obscure the meaning of our Lord's words in today's gospel. Because for Jesus, as well as for Israel before him, salt is not about usefulness. It's about taste. Now, this may seem obvious, but there's a certain mindset, perhaps, that might think Jesus is not concerned with taste. But this is not the case. As God in the flesh, he embraces all that is proper to life in the body, including our sense of taste. Salt is not only pleasing to taste, but in limited quantities, it's essential to life. So his primary concern with salt is how this very human need and this very uh, human condiment serves as an image and in order to understand this, we must take a brief tour through Israel's history. Now, the salt of modern industrial chemistry disintegrates, but the salt of the Bible integrates. It seasons, it complements, enlivens, and preserves. As the indispensable condiment for cooked food, it represents a civilized, agrarian way of life that is lived out in settled communities. Margaret Visser says that human beings learn about salt at a very precise moment in their history when they cease being exclusively carnivorous and learn to eat vegetables in quantities made possible through agriculture. It is significant that, with only one exception, and this is the story of Lot's wife, who becomes a pillar of salt, salt does not make an appearance in the Bible until uh, later than the, the Pentateuch. 
I, I beg your pardon. It does not make an appearance until uh, after the stories of the patriarchs. The patriarchs were nomadic herders who probably obtained all the salt they needed from the flesh of animals. It is only after the Exodus, when the Lord God begins to reveal the law, that the scriptures begin to mention salt. Through his covenant with his people Israel, God will lead them back to himself through a settled way of life in the land. So this is when salt becomes indispensable, because it's the complement of all the cultic offerings that Israel makes in the tabernacle and in the temple. God commands Israel in Leviticus, with all your offerings you shall offer salt. In order to understand this, we should remind ourselves these are not just sacrifices, these are also banquets. Part of the sacrifice is burned on the altar and the smoke ascends to God. That's his portion. Part of it is consumed by the priest and some is reserved for the people. The purpose of salt is to make the food shared by God and his people tasty. And this is also the case in many other traditional cultures where salt is a sign of hospitality. They symbolize the precious stores of the house and the forethought that the host has given and his preparedness for offering hospitality to guests. In the book of Numbers, God calls his covenant with his people, Israel, a covenant of salt. So all of this helps us to understand the backdrop for Jesus' image today in the gospel. We are the salt of the earth. When this salt loses its flavor, it becomes useless. Now, not for everything, as we've seen in its many modern uses, but for the purpose that matters most. He intends the church to be like the salt on an offering, a salt that is spread over the whole earth to make it a pleasing sacrifice to the Father. So in light of this, I invite you to ask yourselves, all of us, to ask ourselves if all of our works are part of this great sacrifice that the Church is offering up to the Father, are our works salted? Are they, do they have savor to them? Are they delightful in the presence of the Father? Do I serve as salt in my family, at work, among my brothers or my fellow oblates? Do my works integrate or do they disintegrate the bonds of fellowship around me? Do I bring savor and delight to the banquet of social life, complementing and accentuating the distinctive characteristics and flavors of others? If we can answer this question, yes, and over the course of our lives, more and more to salt our our common offerings to the Father, both here at the Eucharist and in our lives throughout the rest of our time, then we will more and more become a fitting sacrifice and offering for the banquet of the Lamb, uh, which we await at the end of history. <laughs>